Hey, welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missiodeschicago.com. So we're, this month we're going into a new series that is called Create Beauty. And um, uh, it's based on, we will be looking at extensively the Beatitudes. There are 10 Beatitudes, blessed commandments that we get to walk in and to um, explore. This is Jesus flipping our understanding of what it means to be blessed or to mean be- to be beautiful. Blessed are translated in Latin is beati sunti, and that word is given us the beatitudes. But I love to think of them as positive affirmations or positive things that we can do to walk the same way that Jesus walked. So I'm excited about these series. We got some, a diverse amount of speakers. Um, Mason is going to be speaking next week. Let's give it up for Mason. Also, we're going to be doing some Ebenezer. So if you have like something that God has done that's really amazing in your life and you want to share it during the service, please reach out to me or Brian, whoever you feel comfortable with, and let us know. We want to have a little bit more structure to it, but there is going to be a time of openness where you can talk about what God is doing. The week after that, Brian is going to be speaking, and the week after that, Ashley is going to be speaking. So we have each one of those. Uh, we split up kind of that, you know, what spirit, what are you doing, which ones belong to who, and I think it's going to be a, um, a really important series. So yes, it is going to have some notes of creativity, but how do we, what does it look like to actually join God as he makes all things new? What in the heck does that even mean? So right now I'm going to talk about the first two in Matthew 1, Matthew 5 and 1 through 4. Um, So the Beatitudes are found in Matthew 5. And it just reads, it's not going to be up there, so don't look for it. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And that's an interesting verse to talk about this week as we're mourning the death of a very beloved basketball player, Kobe Bryant, Sunday night, lost his life tragically in a helicopter crash, his daughter's life, and a life of, I believe, seven other people who all had families, and those ripple effects of mourning and grief go out. It's hard enough to lose one person in your family, but to lose two would be utterly devastating. And here is Jesus speaking to people who most likely have experienced that in their lives, And he's saying that you are blessed when you mourn because you shall be comforted. Although I've never met Kobe Bryant, he's partly um, responsible for us being here in Chicago. You're like, why is that possible? Uh, So when I was visiting Oak Park 10 years ago to consider moving my family here to work at a church, we were over someone's house. And I was still kind of unsure if this was the right thing to do. 
And at the time, I was a really diehard Lakers fan. I was born and raised in Southern California. Since I've been in Chicago, I've had to switch my allegiance. It's really hard to live in a place and have allegiance to a team somewhere else. But that's neither here nor there. Um, and they were playing a Miami Heat. They were down by like eight, eight points with a minute to go. And so I say, God, all right, if they win this game, that's how I know that we're supposed to move to Chicago. And it was a tough game. But somehow they got it down to, they were only down by two with like three seconds to go. They inbound the ball to Kobe. He makes a move. He's like near half court, fades away with Dwayne Wade's hand in his face and banks in a three-pointer off the backboard and they win the game. And I'm like in this house, I jump up, yeah! And I wake the baby up, which means that you're really doing something crazy. <laughs> I forget what baby it was. It was oh, it was Kiki probably, yeah. Woke up Kiki, she starts crying. My wife is like, huh? I'm like, what? It's exciting. And uh, he says later that it's the luckiest shot he ever hit. And I love having those kind of interactions with God where you say, all right, God, you want this to happen? Then you need to do this. And he's like, I got you, man. You know, Gideon did the same thing when he put down a fleece. And he said, if there's water on the fleece and the ground is dry, that's how I know. Well, let me do it again. Okay, if there's, the fleece is dry and the ground is wet, that's how I know that I'm supposed to do this amazing thing. Um, and I think that there are these beautiful moments all around us. And whether we believe it or not, we are all on the path to apprehend beauty. We are all on the path to apprehend something that connects with our soul that is called beauty. It's so much entertainment. It's so much art. It's so much creativity, singing, dancing, all these things draw us into this place of giving a glimpse of beauty. But we all know the only true beautiful thing is Jesus. All Everything else is just but a glimpse of the glory that we get to experience when we sit with him but for a moment. Yesterday, I was supposed to be going to prayer. We go to prayers over Mason and Caitlin's house. I was praying, so I missed prayer. And I was just have, hanging out with Jesus. Hanging out with Jesus. And I forgot that I was supposed to be going to prayer. But I think it's something when you start to glimpse who he is, there's never enough time. When you don't have that glimpse, there's never enough time. But when you do see that glimpse, there's never enough time. Jesus is saying this is what blessedness looks like. And so many philosophers have written about beauty and what it's supposed to be. Aristotle said beauty is something that is well organized. I think that's how we usually see beauty when we say something is beautiful. We see it as well organized. It's found that people with the most balanced faces, we consider the most beautiful. When you go in a room and it's aesthetically balanced, it's pleasing to us, we, we may say it's beautiful. I remember going to art museums and you're seeing all this beautiful work of art on the, you know, on the walls and it's overwhelming to me. It becomes like this almost um, plastic version of what beauty really is. Our senses, our eyes, our ears being assaulted with all these 
sounds as they may be that are not truly what beauty is. But Jesus is saying that beauty is found in mourning? What? Does anybody want to be a mourner? Does anybody want to intentionally be poor in spirit? That is not something we grow up to be or is not anything that we desire. Yet and still, this is on our path to understanding what beauty is. And I think beauty is that it's well-organized, something that is well-organized. We say, man, that's beautiful. We organize Jesus sometimes, but he doesn't need that kind of beauty because he is already the desire of the nations, what we really yearn for in our hearts. Imagine to be a philosopher who could write about something and don't even know that you're really talking about Jesus. And so many believe that Aristotle and Plato and Socrates had a real good understanding of the Hebrew scriptures but without the prophetic insight, they couldn't see that they were attempting to point to Jesus. This plastic understanding of beauty forces us to not even pursue that. We, we expect beauty to close the gap in the journey. That's what entertainment is. Entertainment is us seeing beauty, and it making the whole journey to us to prove its goodness. It's called consumerism. We go to the museum and we look at everything. We go, oh, man, we could just walk by. We can consume all these things with our eyes. We can look and consume all these things, and they don't require anything from us. Nothing. Click a button. Turn on the channel. Boop, boop. Beauty, wow, look, it's right there. Look how easy it was. Jesus is telling us that beauty without a struggle is not beauty at all. We are being taught to consume ideas and images at an ever-expanding rate. And this sounds so radical. Think about that. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will see the kingdom of heaven. Think about that when you watch the Super Bowl today and see how far it is from that experience. From eating as much as you can, from consuming as much as you can with your eyes, while definitely the city that the Super Bowl happens in becomes the hub of sex trafficking. This is people who learn how to make a profit on our need for beauty, but our inability to walk the true path to beauty. And consumerism is the first and most base version of that pursuit. But the poor in spirit shall see the kingdom of God. Of heaven. And entertainment is something that is reserved for the wealthy, you know? It's reserved for those who can pay for shows, pay for, now, you know what I'm saying? I like all that stuff too. 
I'm speaking about myself as well. I like nice things. I like to consume. But I do understand that it can never replace true beauty in Jesus. It could never replace something that is scot-free in him. And entertainment requires beauty to close the whole distance. God, come encounter me where I am. I want all of you, but I don't want to give up any more of myself. That sounds like entertainment, yeah. It sounds like you want to, you know, chill, stay to say the way you are, and he's going to walk all the way. Here you go. I'm sorry. Let me encounter you where you are. It requires something of ourself. I had a dream once, and in that dream, I was preaching in a Kmart. Crazy. Kmart's even around anymore? I was preaching in a Kmart, and I turned around. I did like a spin, and then I looked, and it was uh, nobody there. It was people there when I was preaching at first, turned around, and it was nobody there. And I'm like, God, what does that mean? He's like, I don't want you to have a blue light special gospel. Low cost, low risk, low reward. It doesn't require anything of myself, and I don't get anything from it. Some of you may know I went to Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry, and it's a place that many seem feel like it's the mecca of the charismatic world. You go there, you get to hear all these wonderful speakers who live lives that you could never imagine. They're like stomping through the jungle, casting demons out of people and healing the blind and people who, who can't hear receiving their hearing back and radical salvations and provisions. And suffering also goes with that. And I would sit there and consume all this, and I was getting fat, literally, and spiritually. It was like Golden Corral kind of gospel, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm just like, <laughs> that old nasty mac and cheese, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Which you convince yourself tastes good because you paid to get in there, but you know, <laughs> you paid $12 to get in there. It's not, it's not good mac and cheese. <laughs> so just eating and eating and eating. And there are some people that I went to school with that are still there, eating, eating. It's, it's, what place could be like this? This is awesome. And I'm like, dude, I got to go work this stuff off. I'm reading all this stuff in scripture, hearing all these stories, and I ain't got no stories. I got to go work this stuff off. God didn't create us to be consumers. It's a lot of profit in that. It's a lot of glimpses of beauty that we will get in that, but they will never satisfy because they're plastic. Anybody remember their life before Jesus? Seems that whatever you did, whatever you loved, was never enough. It's never enough weed. It's never enough alcohol. It's never enough sex. It's never enough all of these things. Because there are only a glimpse of his beauty and not the fullness. And God wants to create your story with you. And beauty is really being who you are.
And there is something that happen, happens when he restores us. So, you know, you got consumerism. Consumerism is fine. And then you go, you got creation, which is creativity. Which if I said who in here would consider themselves an artist, you know, maybe five people would raise their hands, maybe six, well, maybe like 15 because we have a lot of artists in here. <laughs> there would be people who don't, would, would not consider themselves an artist. Yet people like making babies around here. Lots of babies. And we all make mistakes. We all make friends. Even if you're so administrative, you create lists. <laughs> I met a songwriter recently who told me they were not creative. What? You write songs. There's a stigma to being an artist or being a creative, or maybe there's a stigma to looking like your daddy. I don't know what it is, but apparently my father is very creative, and he likes to make stuff. And he said... Where are you, Adam and Eve? Where are you? We were making stuff together, and now you're gone. Where are you? And that is not forcing beauty to come the whole way to us. It's actually us meeting it, probably halfway maybe. We're meeting beauty through inspiration. We're making stuff, whether we know it or not. We're creating some path through this life. How can you join God as he makes all things new if you don't think you're creative at all? It's like he's making new stuff. We have to imagine that he has created us for this idea before everything happened, him and Adam were naming stuff. You know what I'm saying? I'm sure he was getting his advice on what the sunset should look like. I think he was, you know what I'm saying? All this stuff was going on. God likes input. He loves input from us. Imagine making something with the work of art that you created. Oh God, how great thou art that it creates. That's sick. And this is a level of we get to create and even in that, it's still just a glimpse. It's still just on the way to the real source of joy and peace and prosperity and life. Everything that's on the way to Jesus. In Colossians 3.16 it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you 
richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. That there is something about expressing our passionate love for God that begins to touch us being one with him, but it's still not the full picture of the story. And on the way in our lives, how much of this stuff do we experience? Persecution, mourning. We experience brokenheartedness. We experience times where we're poor in spirit. You know, I'll get everything together and then I'll go to God. Apparently, Jesus is saying, you are blessed where you are. In Isaiah 61, which I'll read in a second, I will give you beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning. He is not turned off by the dark things that we are wrestling with. He is not expecting us to be perfect because perfect doesn't even look like perfect. It looks like loving each other in the midst of our imperfections. I love this quote from Bianca Sparacino. Nothing truly beautiful ever asks for attention. It just naturally exists as it is in confidence and boldness. Just exists. You best believe if something is loud, it is not beautiful. Truly beautiful. These things exist quietly, even as a a flower in a garden somewhere waiting to be discovered and seen. That is the way that God sees each one of us. And our beauty that doesn't require backflips from us, just that we would open our hearts to think that maybe this world has begun to turn our expectation of what is beautiful. That we like look for the supermodel life and God is like, you know, know, it's like hiding $10 million in a rusty Pinto. Anybody remember a Pinto? My dad had a car like that, that thing was ugly. It was a color of vomit and pea soup. (laughs) Yee! (laughs) Hides the most precious things in ugly packages. Why? Because it tests your heart. It tests your heart. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Don't judge a book by its cover. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder is a platonic quote. And that these most precious things require us 
to walk through some things that are not exciting. No subject, I can confidently say, has garnered more inspiration, more songs, more art than Jesus. Even in ancient antiquity, the pinnacle of what the expression of beauty was, was Jesus. So that's, that's better, I think, than just consuming. It's creating an inspiration. But yet and still, he'll give us beauty for ashes. There's a book that I love by Leo Tolstoy, and it's called What is Art? He has two that I really love. I've probably heard me mention them before. What is Art? And the Kingdom of God is Within You. Woo, that title. Killer. What is art? The thesis of the book, what is art, is um, that art is not about some big event that we pay lots of money for people to attend and to produce. Art is about something that brings people together. It is something that is made that brings oneness and unity. And it just blew my mind. He considers the highest form of art the Bible. How many people from different backgrounds and different situations and circumstances have been united through this work? Or the book of Job, which is the oldest book in the Bible. And I think that the more that things are arrayed towards unity, even the more beautiful they become. Turn to Isaiah 61 if you have your Bible because it's not going to be up there. The Beatitudes almost feel like an antithesis. They feel like something you want to avoid. Avoid this and you will be blessed. But that's not what he's saying. He's speaking in a region that's at the northern, almost a northwestern point of the Sea of Galilee, and he's speaking to a multitude who has been following him around. They're tired. They're also literally outside of Jerusalem. So they're not real, they're not real like believers. They're not real people of faith. They're not even like real Jewish people because they're not in the center of what Jerusalem is, but a lot of Different spies from Sadducees and Pharisees are sent out to find out what this Jesus is teaching him. And he's laying out what his life is going to look like, that he is going to be persecuted, that he is going to be poor in spirit, and that even he is going to mourn. And in Isaiah 61, he enters a synagogue and he speaks this. And then proceeds to drop a mic. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, 
the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. The oil of joy for mourning. I wonder why everybody is so happy today. Well, we haven't seen the sun in a record amount of time. Apparently, it's been 20 years, over 20 years since it's gone this long without sun. But how beautiful is it today when it's been gone for so long? There is something about us pursuing the sun from which all life flows. And the crazy thing is, is on our journey to beauty, on our journey to the beauty of Jesus, he's with us. <laughs> That's crazy. It's like you're on the way to your destination, walking with your destination. Comfort to all who mourn. He's not talking about some goal or some, some, some solution. He's talking about a process that he walks out with you and his presence goes with you. And it may seem like your goal is ever receding into the distance, but you're finding that you're more aware of his beauty around you than you've ever been before. And even creating cannot compare to just sitting with Jesus and doing nothing with no agenda. Because the Spirit of the Lord is now upon you. It's very hard, though, when you experience poverty or you experience grieving and mourning externally to not let those things define you. That's what I love about this is because in the Beatitudes, Jesus is not making them a title or a designation. Blessed are the mourners. Blessed are those who mourn for your sufferings present sufferings are nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. So what is the hard part of life? The hard part of life is going through things, letting them refine you, but not letting them de define you. Because what happens is you start to hear this lie and this title that you may have given yourself because you were in a certain season and now you can't seem to shake it off. And God says, where are you? And you say, you know, the liar is right here. You know, the person who likes porn is right here. Or the person who, like, is a drug addict is right here. He's like, that's not what I call you. That's not who I see you as. But our identity has begun to be shaped by these seasons and these trials that we have. So why is he saying, blessed are you? 
Blessed are you because you've never ceased to be beautiful in his eyes. You've never ceased to be who you really are. I pray that we all find the opportunity to see ourselves the way that Jesus sees us. On our way in. Flipping inside and out what we see as the paradigm for beauty. But, oh, Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I see. And when your eyes are on this child, your grace abounds to me. His eyes are the ones that are never satisfied until they find us. And I think, for lack of a better term, that point of our journey is oneness with Christ or consummation, unity and oneness with Jesus. that we could no longer call ourselves anything else because we are seated in Christ, with Christ, in heavenly places. The most beautiful understanding of who he is. So today, let us flip our packaging inside out no longer enticed by the outer covering of things, can we embrace these moments of suffering because we know they're working in us the eternal weight of glory. They're working in us the consummation of all things, which is unity with Jesus Christ. And even making things and consuming things can only begin to touch the beauty that he is.